Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit, Hail Mary, Mary, full full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. This week, Bishop reflects upon St. John Chrysostom, the parable of the prodigal son, and much more. Submit your question for Bishop to answer at RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our Bishop. Thanks for joining us, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Good to be here. Good to have you. And today would be the 18th anniversary of the 9-11 attacks. Hard to believe it's been 18 years. It is hard to believe. And, you know, and seeing those images, they'll always be in our minds, you know. And it's a good day to remember the victims and their families and to remember them in our prayers and also, you know, to pray for an end to terrorism and and violence. Um, you know, so much has happened since then, but that will be indelibly a part of our American history. And so it really is a day of remembrance today. I feel like it, when we pray for peace in the world, it might seem like what's the point of even praying for it because it doesn't seem like it's ever going to happen. Is it something we should be praying for, even if it does seem unrealistic? Well, you know what? I think our prayers for peace do bear fruit. It would be worse Mm. if we didn't have prayers. Right. Um, But I also think we we pray for conversion of hearts um, Mm. because basically these, whether it's acts of war or terrorism, you know, it all begins with the hatred in the human heart. And that's where conversion is needed. So even though it's hard to pray for for uh, terrorists, for example, or those who would do us harm, we should. We should pray for their conversion. Uh, I think this is a good day to do that because we know the threat of terrorism is still out there. You know, whatever motivates people, um, uh, sometimes it's mental illness, but other times it's ideology, mm-hmm. ideologies of hate. It's not just prayer. It's also work, working for peace, working for change in areas where people grow up, 
perhaps in a culture of violence and hate. All right. Coming up on Friday, September 13th, we have the Memorial of St. John Chrysostom, who is a bishop and doctor of the church. I think you've talked a little bit about him in the past, but maybe a few highlights from, from Well, his life. if I did, maybe I could ask you, Kyle, what you remember. Do you well, remember what Chrysostom means? I, does it mean golden-tongued? Very good. Okay. Golden tongue, golden mouth. Yeah. Yeah, because his, he's actually John of Antioch, but no one knows him okay. by that. He was born in Antioch of Syria back in the fourth century, and he's one of the great doctors of the church. I mean, one of the Eastern doctors of the church, One of really one of the great saints. Um who had an eloquent, he was an eloquent preacher. So that's why everyone called him Chrysostom. Yeah. You know, golden mouth, golden tongue. He became a priest and was very popular because he was such a good preacher. Uh, he had, you know, you know, great uh, reputation. Um, and when he was 49 years old, he was chosen to be the Patriarch of Constantinople, which was, of course, the capital of the Eastern Roman Empire and um, really a very, very important position. So we know him as uh, from the time also that he served as, as Patriarch. Before that, by the way, he was a monk. And as a monk, he was, you know, he loved meditation and prayer and study of theology so it wasn't his choice to become a priest or to become a uh, the patriarch a bishop of constantinople but it was one of those things that had happened and and uh even though he he even you know tried to get out of it uh the people insisted and you know and it wasn't easy i mean here he was in the eastern capital of the roman empire which was the most important diocese in the east it was the center of a lot of things, theological controversies, court intrigues, everything. But his eloquent sermons were also, I mean, he wasn't afraid to preach the truth. And that made enemies, you know. Uh, probably his biggest enemy was the empress. Hmm. Um, not the emperor so much, but the empress, her name was Eudoxia. And... He would preach against some of the excessive and extreme wealth of the royal uh, court. And she took this personally, uh, you know, because he was talking about the greed, et cetera. He was condemning. And so she really, you know, used her influence to get him exiled. So he was in exile for, for quite some time. I think he was sent into exile a couple times. Also, the fact that he denounced... Uh, when there were sins of the clergy or whatever, he, he was not shy to denounce all these things. You know, he was denouncing the luxury. He was encouraging people to take care of the poor and the duty of almsgiving. Uh, he was basically preaching the gospel. Hmm. Um, but the, because of doing that, he had opposition, especially by the empress, and um, led to his exile. And, you know, he had to suffer. He was probably too too severe for their lax way of life. But his homilies and his writings are really inspirational. They're, they're still relevant today. I read them and, you know, they really do kind of um, touch our consciences. Huh. Uh, he died in, in the year 407. Um, I think he was 
on his way again to another exile when he died. And then some years later, he died in the city of Comin, and later they brought his relics, we talked about relics in our last show, back to uh to Constantinople some maybe 30 years after he died and that was a huge event bringing his relics back to the city so see the even in the 5th century relics were important he is someone to uh, that we honor every year um, I think the in the east they celebrate uh, his feast day on a different date they celebrate when the relics were transferred huh. but in the uh, Latin church we celebrate his feast on on September 13th which is I believe the day of his death okay yeah and then the following day Saturday the 14th is the feast of the exaltation of the Holy Cross which is a uh, kind of a big deal for our diocese with Notre Dame and Holy Cross College, and then, our, of course, Holy Cross Parish and school as well, and all the Holy Cross priests that are active in our diocese. Yeah, it's so interesting that it's not the feast day for the Congregation of Holy Cross. Their feast day is, is the day after. It's the Feast of Our Lady of Sorrows, although the Feast of the Exaltation of the Cross is also uh, a big feast for them, but it's not their patronal feast. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I think this feast day began in Jerusalem when it's the date of when they, uh, the Basilica of the Holy Sepulchre was dedicated. Okay. And of course, that's built over the site of Calvary and also over the site of the tomb of Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Um, I think one of the uh, callers or someone asked about St. Helena or St. Helen, mm-hmm. and her finding the true cross. So we celebrate the exaltation of the Holy Cross. It's interesting to see, to look at that tradition of St. Helena finding the true cross in Jerusalem. You know the story, Kyle? I, I think so. There were three crosses, and they weren't sure which one might be the true cross, and so they, was it somebody that was ill? They put yeah. near them, and one healed that's person. right and so they yeah yeah and i've heard different renditions of that story one that it was uh a leper who was okay. cleansed but then i i read uh, another place where it was a um uh someone who was dying and uh from a terminal illness and she touched the cross and when she she was cured when she touched the the third cross, um, and that's how they identified it as the true cross. Now, how much of this is legend? How much is true? We really don't know. But I would say some of the history that we do know, when the emperor Hadrian was the emperor, Roman emperor, which was back in the early second century, and you know he made uh, Jerusalem a new capital, and he forbade, you know, he. Uh, abolished a lot of Jewish things. And Jerusalem was pretty much in ruins after the revolt in the year 70 AD when they, you know, raised the temple. And the emperor Hadrian really was against both Judaism and Christianity. So he leveled the top of Mount Calvary and erected a temple there to the, to the Roman goddess, the pagan goddess Venus. Okay. And he also cut away and leveled the hillside where Jesus' tomb was. And he built a temple to the pagan god Jupiter. Well, a couple centuries later, we have the Emperor Constantine, who in the year 312 became emperor and then 
the next year he had the edict of milan and he legalized christianity it was uh this new emperor then and his mother's name was helena Mm -hmm. his mother converted to christianity before he did but according to the church historian eusebius helena went to palestine in search of the sacred sites and she built churches above the site of the nativity in bethlehem and at the site of that was believed to be where jesus ascended into heaven Hmm. so eusebius mentions this about saint helena other things too she was very generous with the poor very pious woman and all that now how do we connect her with the cross well here's where we're kind of not quite sure of history and legend okay but they decided to demolish that temple of jupiter and they found or they discovered what they thought was the tomb of our lord and um and they build a new shrine over it. Of course, that's what we have in the Church of the Holy Sepulcher mm-hmm. in Jerusalem. They also demolished the Temple of Venus, which was built over where Jesus was crucified, over, over Calvary, which was leveled. And then they lo- were looking then for the cross. And um, that's where, as you said, they found the three crosses in a rock in a cistern. Uh, they also found the plaque, which had the words... I-N-R-I, you know, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. In uh-huh. Latin, it's Jesus Nazarenus Rex Judeorum. Um, then you, we already mentioned how they came up with the idea, which, which of the three crosses was that of Jesus. Yeah. So there are some writings, uh, subsequent writings, that, that uh, mention that Helena, St. Helena, was part of this, of finding this cross. In any event, um, you know, we have the Church of the Holy Sepulchre built over the site of where both these pagan temples were, mm-hmm. which is over the site of the tomb and Calvary. So they're all part of the one basilica or church of the Holy Sepulchre. And it was on this date, on September 14th, that that basilica was dedicated or consecrated and that's why we celebrate on september 14th the exaltation of the cross if you ever visit the church of the holy sepulcher you can go down into the crypt and they have the chapel of the finding of the true cross where this cistern was where they found the three crosses so um and i think they call it also the chapel of saint helena so anyhow all this is very interesting um and uh yeah it's interesting to study to read about of course uh september 14th we we not only remember all these historical things but we also remember what's the meaning of the cross yeah you know it's the cross that's our cause of our salvation our lord's self-giving love his sacrifice of himself on the cross that has brought about our redemption do you have a favorite crucifix or image of the crucifixion well i like realistic ones so uh-huh. i like i don't uh, i do like the san damiano cross uh-huh. uh, that spoke to saint francis but in my chapel i i like one that's um you know i have a hand carved wooden crucifix that's colored and um something i like to gaze on because it's very realistic and it helps me 
to meditate on the death of our Lord, but uh, I can't really name a particular, if you mean like a famous artist, I, yeah. no, other than the San Damiano cross, I, yeah. Okay. All right, well, coming up, we'll talk about Sunday's gospel, about three different parables, and get to your questions right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I'm Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and this Sunday's gospel reading is beautiful, potentially a pretty long one here as well. It's got three different parables that are broken down. It starts with tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to listen to Jesus, but the Pharisees and scribes began to complain, which just kind of sets the scene of the people we would normally associate with not being good Christians are the ones that are actually being good Christians. And then the ones that are supposed to be the good Christians, the Pharisees are the ones complaining that Jesus is hanging out with these quote unquote sinners and tax collectors. Yes. Yeah. And so then he talks to the Pharisees. And so these three parables seem to be directed more towards the Pharisees explaining why he's here to to talk with the sinners and tax collectors. Yeah, exactly. I think it, it's uh, when we when we reflect on these parables, it's good to be cleansed of any self righteousness on our parts because that was their problem. They're really represented in the parable of prodigal son by the elder son. Mm-hmm. You know, they were resentful of of God's mercy. Yeah. So that was, I think, a very pointed message to the Pharisees and scribes was the elder son in the parable of the prodigal son. I think you can get so deeply into these three parables. It's Luke's gospel is the gospel of the merciful savior. All three of these parables, the lost sheep, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son are about God's mercy, how Mm -hmm. he seeks those who are lost Mm -hmm. and, and he finds them and he rejoices when he finds them. But I think we could, of course, the lengthiest of the three is the parable of the prodigal son and, it really is describing the process of conversion, the process of repentance. The central character really is the merciful father. Jesus is revealing something to us about God, that he is our merciful father. He's also revealing to us the problems with sin. You know, what happened to the son who demanded his inheritance and went off to spend it on dissolute or loose living. Mm -hmm. He shows us how this is an illusory kind of freedom. It's an illusion that this is going to bring me real freedom. This is going to make me happy. Now, when we abandon the father's house, we become lost. It results in misery. Mm. And that's what happened to the son. He found he squandered his fortune his inheritance, and what happened to him. He was reduced to feeding pigs. He longed to eat what they were eating. So he lost his dignity. And he was he was deeply humiliated. That's what sin does. It harms us. It doesn't free us. It enslaves us. Mm. It makes us miserable. But all hope isn't lost. You know, he could go home to his father. He reached that, the depths of, depravity and decided, yeah, I'm sorry. I lost everything. 
So he had that spirit of repentance, which takes humility. He decided he was going to go back home and, and confess, Father, I sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's what true conversion is. It, it means that we admit our sinfulness and that we're sorry. I mean, that's what we do when we go to confession. You know, we trust in that our father will receive us back home, and he does. That's what the prodigal son shows us. But we need to have that genuine sorrow. And, and the father is generous in welcoming his son home. And not only does he welcome him home, he has great joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, has the, he slays the fatted calf. He has a big celebration. He, he embraces his son. And that's what's at the end of conversion. I mean, that's how God is. There's so much joy in God's heart when a sinner returns. You know, he put a robe on him, a ring on his finger. All this shows the new life that comes from conversion. Anyone who returns to God and to his church, this is the kind of reception they they will receive. This is how deep God's love is for us. It's an abyss of divine mercy. And it's, it's very, very beautiful. The reaction of the older son, uh, he's jealous. He's, he thinks that he's always followed everything the father said. He was obedient to the law and all that. But he also was a sinner. He just didn't recognize it. I mean, did he really have love for his father? It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like he was just a dutiful relationship. Hmm. Um, you know, he didn't care at all about his brother. So I think that's uh, also a lesson. We could give a whole homily on the elder brother because some of us might find ourselves kind of acting like he does. Mm -hmm. So anyhow, we could go on and on, but it really is a beautiful chapter 15 of Luke's gospel. I think it's one of the greatest stories ever, ever told, you know, especially the parable of the prodigal son. Yeah. The other two parables, a little shorter, right. also fairly similar, I feel like, in content. There's a hundred sheep, 99 stay, one strays, and, and the good shepherd goes after the, the one that, that strays. Or the woman having 10 coins loses one, she goes after the one that's lost. This idea of this God that is pursuing the lost person. The, the, you know, when I'm kind of lost and confused, God is is chasing after me saying, come back, you know. Yeah. I, I, also a call for us as a church to be not just satisfied with, hey, we've got nine coins. That's good enough. But to say, no, there's there's still people that are out there that are lost that we need to to run after to to help, not to chase after them to scorn them or to you know yell right. at them, but to invite them back in. So hopefully we're doing that as a Yeah, as a and you church. know, also similar to the prodigal son with the lost sheep, what happens? The shepherd, after he finds them, he puts the sheep on his shoulders with great joy, hmm. the parable says. And, and then he calls, when he gets home, everybody else to rejoice with him. And the same with, uh, with the woman who found the, uh, the lost coin, she she says, rejoice with me, she says to her friends, because I found the coin that was lost. And, and then it specifically says, in just the same way I tell you, this is Jesus speaking, there will be rejoicing among the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Mm-hmm. You know, people sometimes who, you know, committed, especially if they committed a sin that they're very, very ashamed of, sometimes have a hard time 
even accepting that God forgives them and they can't forgive themselves. Right. And when people are in that state, I always try to remember this, get them to, to, to think about how, how much joy there is in God when, when they return, when they repent, and they need to just surrender to his mercy and stop beating themselves up, but, but say, I just entrust myself to you, Lord, to your mercy. And so that they have peace and they're able also, hopefully, to forgive themselves. Sometimes pride can get in the way, mm -hmm. like pride in the fact that, oh, and then they can't forgive themselves because they think they're so great that they couldn't fall like they did. Hmm. Well, that's dangerous. That's worse than the sin, even if it's a serious sin that they committed, is that sin of pride that they can't even, they're so filled with themselves that they, they can't forgive themselves. Right. Do you know what I mean? They can't entrust themselves to God's mercy because they think so highly of themselves that the fact that they felt, they just can't accept it. Well, that's kind of like the Pharisees and scribes. Mm -hmm. I mean, they thought so highly of themselves. They didn't recognize that they have fallen or that they could fall. Mm -hmm. You know, So that's another lesson, I think, that uh, comes to mind, at, and for me at least, in this Sunday's gospel. Yeah. And then that repetition just makes me think, that they were having troubles and he's just kind of giving them different examples and how much that I need that. Like, uh, can, can you push that from a different angle? Can I, and maybe yeah. just the third time, like, okay, I finally, I get it. All right. <laughs> yeah. I see what you're saying. All right. Well, if you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to redeemerradio.com slash ask Bishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. Coming up, we have some questions about Jesus descending into hell, the death penalty, and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman asking the questions that you've submitted. Someone asked, I think this is a really good question. In the Apostles' Creed, we say that Jesus descended into hell. Why did that have to happen, and what happened when he was there? Okay, first of all, I I think I need to, I mean, we, we profess this when we pray the Apostles' Creed or uh -huh. the Nicene Creed. He descended into hell, and on the third day, he rose again. When we think of hell, we think of the place of eternal damnation. Mm -hmm. That is not the word that's used here. Okay. The word is in Hebrew, Sheol, in Greek, Hades. It's the abode of the dead. Jesus did not go down into the place of eternal damnation. So I think sometimes we should probably change the translation uh -huh. because, and say he descended to the dead. Okay. Because so many people ask me this question thinking that hell is, you know, the place where the devil, you know, uh, that, that Jesus went down to where Satan is, right. you know, and that's not true. Jesus went down to the realm of the dead. Okay. And 
And we know this, this was in the apostolic preaching, the apostles after the resurrection and after Pentecost, they preached about how Jesus descended into hell and on the third day rose again from the dead. So Jesus in his death, his soul joined the other souls in the realm of the dead, but he went there as savior. Mm-hmm. In other words, he went as I think the letter of Peter says, he proclaimed the good news to the spirits who were imprisoned there. Uh Because all these just people like um, Moses or even Adam, Noah, you know, they they still didn't have the vision of God. Mm -hmm. They needed salvation. So our Lord descended into that abode of the dead, what we say descended into hell, to free the just who had gone before him. He did not go to deliver the damned. He didn't go into that hell. He didn't go to destroy the hell of damnation. Uh, We're talking about the descending into the abode of the dead. I I guess a little bit more on what happened there. When he preached, you said he preached the good news to them. Were they then released from that and they went with him when they rose from the dead? Does do they ascend into heaven? Or? Yes. Um, okay. I would say that uh, he delivered all of them from that bondage. Um, and then their souls were able to enjoy the vision of God. Okay. Um, it's an interesting question. Did they need further purgatory, uh, further mm. purification? Uh, I'd have to have to look that up. I always think that they were, at that point, they had done <laughs> their... uh, There's a beautiful, I I brought this with me today uh, in the Liturgy of the Hours. um, They have this uh, on Holy Saturday. It's one of the most beautiful readings in the whole bravery. Hmm. It's an ancient homily for Holy Saturday. And one paragraph I'll just read for our listeners because it's something to especially reflect on on Holy Saturday, but it, it refers to this, and it's, uh, it's quoted in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, this paragraph. So let me read it. Again, it's about Holy Saturday. Today, a great silence reigns on earth, a great silence and a great stillness, a great silence because the king is asleep. The earth trembled, and is still because God has fallen asleep in the flesh and he has raised up all who have slept ever since the world began. He has gone to search for Adam, our first father, as for a lost sheep, greatly desiring to visit those who live in darkness and in the shadow of death He has gone to free from sorrow Adam in his bonds and Eve captive with him. He who is both their God and the son of Eve. I am your God who for your sake have become your son. I order you, O sleeper, to awake. I did not create you to be a prisoner in hell. Rise from the dead for I am the life of the dead. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, another listener wrote, the death penalty has been in the news recently since the U.S. recently decided to resume capital punishment for federal inmates after a 16-year hiatus. What does the Catholic Church teach about the death penalty? 
Okay, this is going to take me a little while to explain because some of our listeners may know that last year, Pope Francis did a change or a revision to a paragraph in the catechism about the death penalty. Right. I think it would be uh, helpful to look at what the catechism used to say and what it says now. Okay. One of the things is sometimes there can be a revision of the catechism because there'd be a development. In other words, uh, some development in the teaching. And Pope Francis, when he did this revision to the catechism, basically is saying that the church's view on the issue of the death penalty has matured. Mm-hmm. Um, in the previous edition of the catechism, it's all in, in number 2267. So if you want to know what the, the teaching is, you can look at number 2267 of the catechism. And this was approved by St. John Paul II, and especially incorporating his teaching in Evangelium Vitae, the encyclical on the gospel of life, where he taught about the death penalty as well. That's reflected in the catechism. Pope Francis revised it further, and I'll explain why. It used to say, Assuming that the guilty party's identity and responsibility have been fully determined, the traditional teaching of the church does not exclude recourse to the death penalty, if this is the only possible way of effectively defending human lives against the unjust aggressor. Mm -hmm. So, in other words, the church has allowed the death penalty in the past as the because it was the only way to to uh, keep society safe, basically. Uh, So you continue reading the catechism. If, however, non-lethal means are sufficient to defend and protect people's safety from the aggressor, authority will limit itself to such means, as these are more in keeping with the concrete conditions of the common good and more in conformity with the dignity of the human person. Mm -hmm. Today, in fact, as a consequence of the possibilities which the state has for effectively preventing crime, By rendering one who has committed an offense incapable of doing harm without definitively taking away from him the possibility of redeeming himself, the cases in which the execution of the offender is an absolute necessity are very rare, if not practically non-existent. So Pope John Paul was very strong on this. Even when he came to St. Louis back in 1999, he was very strong that saying that this is not necessary to defend human life today. So he was very strongly against capital punishment. Um, Would you but, say the ex- the exception was almost like a hypothetical? Yeah. Like a, if there would be this case, I, I almost right. can't even imagine it, but if there would be a case, then it would be acceptable. Exactly. Yeah. So Pope Francis then in the revision took it a step further. He doesn't even talk about how the traditional teaching of the church did not exclude recourse to the uh, death penalty if it was the only way Mm -hmm. to defend human life. So I think that's where there's been some controversy. But it might be helpful to for me to read what the catechism says now since it's been revised. This is what 
Pope Francis, uh, how Pope Francis revised it. Again, it's, it's number 2267. Recourse to the death penalty on the part of legitimate authority following a fair trial was long considered an appropriate response to the gravity of certain crimes and an acceptable, albeit extreme, means of safeguarding the common good. Today, however, there is an increasing awareness that the dignity of the person is not lost even after the commission of very serious crimes. In addition, a new understanding has emerged of the significance of penal sanctions imposed by the state. Lastly, more effective systems of detention have been developed, which ensure the due protection of citizens, but at the same time do not definitively deprive the guilty of the possibility of redemption. Mm -hmm. Consequently, the church teaches in the light of the gospel that the death penalty is inadmissible because it is an attack on the inviolability and dignity of the person, and she works with determination for its abolition worldwide. So I would say that's stronger. Yeah. Um, it doesn't admit of exceptions, mm -hmm. brings out the idea of the possibility of redemption for mm -hmm. the guilty that can be impeded if they're put to death. Right. Um, so I would say there, that this is a significant revision. It's just not minor. As uh, Pope Francis spoke about how this teaching on the death penalty, as it's been reformulated, it's a teaching that's been matured. So I would say at this point, um, it's basically saying, you know, because of the dignity of the human person, that dignity isn't lost even after committing uh, the most serious crimes. And uh, John Paul and Pope Benedict both, you know, spoke against the death penalty. But I think at this point, it's gone even a step further uh, with Pope Francis, where he is saying it's it's something that needs to be totally rejected because it's an attack on the inviolability and the dignity of the person. Yeah. All right. Thank you for that clarification. If you have questions for Bishop, you can go to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598 right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. Brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and I'm asking questions that you have submitted for Bishop to answer. If truth and charity couldn't be your motto because it was taken by another bishop, what would your alternate motto be? Oh, there's so many good possible mottos. Uh, you know, usually you look to scripture. Another one that I always liked is uh, Caritas Christi Urget Nos. The okay. charity of Christ urges us on. Uh -huh. I think we used that for last year's Bishop's Appeal. Yeah. Uh, you know, you have to get a phrase that's small that can fit on a coat of arms. Uh -huh. But I love that. The love of Christ urges us on. Caritas Christi I could think of a lot of other ones. Uh, Behold the servant of the Lord. I mean, um, so many. Uh, John's gospel has, has some great short lines. Uh, love one another. Uh, so many good things. But I think I would choose St. Paul's Caritas Christi Orgetnos. Yeah. 
Did you debate over truth and charity? Well, they didn't long? give you a lot of time. You know, okay. you only have a couple, you know, a couple of weeks before, after being appointed bishop to, before you were ordained a bishop, you have to have it before they print the programs and everything. <laughs> so, um, and, and truth and charity came to me because that was a theme that I often spoke about as rector of the seminary about how priests needed to preach the truth, but always with love mm-hmm. and uh, with charity. So that just seemed natural. It was a kind of a, a motto that I, I kind of used in my leading the seminary mm-hmm. uh, the importance of truth and charity. And that comes from uh, the fourth chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he talks about how we are to profess the truth in charity. So that uh, just came to me and stuck. So, yeah. And going back to the question, there's no rule that bishops can't use one that's already taken. Multiple bishops could have the same model right. and do have the yeah, same Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. All right. Finally, as bishop, you're invited to attend a lot of events. What makes an event good to you? Is there anything people do for you at these events that perhaps aren't necessary? Well, first of all, there should be good food. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm teasing. (laughs) Uh, You know, I just, I do attend a lot of events. Um, I just think... I enjoy them because I I enjoy the opportunity to meet people. Mm -hmm. I enjoy the opportunity to greet people. Oftentimes, you know, when I attend events, obviously a lot of times I'm celebrating a liturgy Mm -hmm. and then there'd be uh, something afterwards where I'm able to mix with the people a little bit, greet them. Sometimes there's a reception or Mm -hmm. sometimes a meal. It's not easy because I'm an introvert. So, you know, it's kind of, if I'm, out with people at an event for a couple hours i'm greeting like hundreds of people i am exhausted you know because i'm an introvert yeah but i do enjoy it you know and is uh really there's nothing people need to do for me i rather i don't like a fuss being made okay uh that's something that i feel uncomfortable i really rather it be more low-key you know like yeah, I, I don't want any special fuss. I'd, I'd rather it be normal and natural. Uh, there doesn't have to be any special preparations. You know, I'm just pretty normal guy. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really, um, you know, I know a lot of times I go to an event, they, I'm first in line for the meal. You know, I don't need to be, you know, although if <laughs> I'm hungry, that's nice. everybody's watching to see what you get. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people are so, so kind and generous and I appreciate it, but I really don't need special, I don't want special treatment. You know, I just want to, I mean, obviously as bishop, there's the proper respect, but, but not uh, any kind of being put on a pedestal or anything like that. No, I'm really pretty normal. Um, and I think, uh, I would say there's nothing I would say is necessary. I kind of roll with the punches. Um, you know, some events, I, you know, it can be tiring if they're too long, mm-hmm. you know, but that's not just for me. It's for other people. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I do like things to be kind of prompt uh, that you're not waiting along forever or there's a lot of long speeches or things like that. But yeah, <laughs> but I, I wouldn't say so much about how that might be bothersome to me but i think about everybody you know like i always feel bad when people are waiting to start a meal because i'm still greeting people after mass mm-hmm. and all that so i always say to the pastor i'm gonna go over and say grace because i don't want people to have to be waiting for me uh-huh. you know because i i don't want that kind of you know no you know they could start without me i'll get there you know 
so those are kind of little things that happen because sometimes then they'll say, no, 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 you have to do the grace. Uh-huh. So then I say, okay, well, I'll go say grace. But then I, you know, I'm still trying to <laughs> greet people coming out of church. So that's a little challenging sometimes. But I really do enjoy uh, most events that I attend, you know, and because it is an opportunity to to be with the people, to chat with people get to know them they can get to know me a little bit better and it's really kind of fun Mm -hmm. i enjoy you know events with people of all ages too you know sometimes it's youth events sometimes Mm -hmm. it's events with older people conferences whatever we might have there's just so many opportunities to to uh to interact uh that i really appreciate because it's important that i get to know the people and the people get to know me part of it some people say well i I love listening to you on the radio because then they kind of get to know you know, yeah. oh, I have to tell you, for example, when I was at uh, Waterloo and people were talking about how they listened to this show, they they prepared some of the foods that they heard that I like oh, okay. on this show. So, yeah. <laughs> so that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> you can send a menu in advance. Like, yeah. Here, here really. are some of my favorites. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much, Bishop. Can we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Sure. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Check out previous episodes of Truth and Charity by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. While there, submit a question for a future episode. You'll get an email letting you know your question has been received. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.